0: Thanks for tuning in to REACH Radio, a podcast for public health professionals looking to expand their network, be inspired, and discover resources and tools that help improve the experience of public health professionals and patients in their communities. I'm your host, Fran. Hi everybody and welcome to REACH Radio. I am so excited about today's guest speaker. I probably say that every time, right? I'm so excited and it's because I am. But this time I'm just blown away Allison Bones is an amazing woman. She has been through a lot, but she's been able to persevere uh, to face adversity and stare it right in the face. And today she's going to share that journey with us. She's going to talk to us about Team for Travis and the work that she and her organization are doing to help to prevent isolated congenital asplenia. And this, of course, is a rare disease, but it's one for which we know little about. And apparently, the more research that's being done, the more that we are discovering that there may be many more occurrences than we ever thought. Allison, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Fran. I'm delighted to be here and have the opportunity to
0: tell you a little bit more about our work. Absolutely. So why don't we just jump right in and get started? Tell us, introduce yourself, and your organization, and some of what you guys have been up to.
1: Yes. Well, I'm Allison Bones. Our organization is a 501c3 nonprofit based in Arizona in the United States, and the organization's name is Team for Travis. The letters in team stand for Together Ending Asplenium Mortality, and why it's important is because Travis was my four-year-old son who died suddenly and unexpectedly in 2018 of a rare disease that no one ever diagnosed in him. And more importantly, at the end of his life, when he spiked a high fever and three different medical professionals assessed him, every single one of them dismissed it as the flu. Um, What that disease was is isolated congenital asplenia. And what that means is Travis was born without a spleen. And if like most of your listeners, like me, I always thought the spleen was one of those organs that it's nice to have, but you can live without it. I had no clue that it was so crucial to a young child's immune system. Let's talk
0: about that for just a second, because that's an important point, right? So our spleen is really part of the circulatory system. It cleans the red blood cells, right? Make sure it's kind of a filtering system of such, exactly. right? Yes. I would imagine that was just that in of itself was a lot of education for you, right? Can that you share us what that it, was like?
1: It was a jaw dropping moment. After Travis died, um, and a little bit more background that is important to this story, my husband, Travis's father, had died earlier in 2018 from colorectal cancer. So we already had such an amazing community surrounding us, lifting us up, looking out for us, that when Travis became sick in August of 2018. And tw- within 20 hours of first developing a fever, he was gone. My, my group, my community, my tribe, as I like to call them, rallied around us again and... Uh, So one of my closest friends took my mom and me into her home and had us staying with her for a week. And this is what's so important because all of this kind of led to the creation of Team for Travis. So it was while I was staying at Chris's house, we received the call from the medical examiner and the medical examiner delivered the news about Travis's Splenia, And we both, I remember just sitting there and as I'm relaying everything to Chris that the medical examiner is telling me, she's furiously Googling the condition on her phone. Now, I know, obviously, Dr. Google is not the, the best source, but going to trusted medical sites like the Mayo Clinic and um, we were able to learn just how important the role of the spleen is. And we were completely dumbfounded because we had no idea that, as you mentioned, the spleen cleans the red blood cells. It is the second most important factor in the, in the body's immune system because as it's cleaning the red blood cells, it's also aiding in the production of white blood cells, which are the disease fighters. And so without the spleen, Travis developed a rare bacterial infection that if he had a spleen, probably would have maybe slowed him down for a couple of hours. But without his spleen, the infection just raged through his little body and he developed sepsis. And that ultimately is what led to his death.
0: I am so sorry. This is, it's just so heart-riching.
1: Thank you for for the kindness it it was. And um, so because I was at Chris's house, she she really, she and her brother planted the seed. They said, "You've got to do something with this." None of us knew at that point what do something meant, what it looked like, but we just knew that a light as bright as Travis and as exciting as Travis. This was a little kid that had a community wrapped around his finger. He gathered friends wherever he went, and uh, he flirted outrageously. He was always excited to do things. And so for this, this silent killer to be lurking in him that no one even knew existed, we were moved. We had to do something because how many other children out there were like Travis, just going along and their parents thinking they were perfectly healthy, but they have no spleen. And uh, so that, that is how our organization got its start stemming from the the great tragedy of losing Travis.
0: My goodness. Well, it's, you know, it's such a hard story, but it's also so inspiring to know that you could take so many tragedies because if we look at it in the course of the multiple tragedies you've had in such a short period of time, both of which are conditions of which could be preventable, right? If detected early, could be prevented. Tell us how that felt for you and how that sort of has fed into the way that you are doing your work in your organization.
1: Yes. Well, you're exactly right. It channeled my energy because if we had known that Travis was born without a spleen, obviously there would have been so much that I could have done. I probably would have had on speed dial half the staff at Phoenix Children's Hospital just, and I would have watched Travis even more closely. I mean, he we were so blessed. And so we knew what a precious gift his life was. And uh, especially after my husband died of colorectal cancer, I felt even more of a responsibility in Travis's raising. And I wanted to raise a good, strong, kind, compassionate child who was always, always kind and always loving and, I leaned on my family of chosen friends to, to help with that. When Travis died in this way, I just, I, I had to just take action because the, if I could prevent another mom out there from feeling the way I felt in that moment, just that utter grief and despair, then I would be in some way still being able to mother Travis, even though he, his physical presence wasn't here. I would still be able to share his spirit and his his love of life by helping to prevent this this terrible genetic birth defect from taking the life of another child.
0: Well, you certainly have done that and you should be proud in that. Tell us about some of the work, specific work of team for Travis.
1: Yes. Well, we started out with absolutely no roadmap other than knowing that we wanted to change how this disease impacts other children and other families. And it's kind of funny because as I've gotten involved in the rare disease world and met other rare disease patients and and families and caregivers, I have found that what happened to us is extremely rare. And what I mean by that is I've met parents who have had to fight and advocate for their living children for years just to get a diagnosis for their disease, let alone start the treatment odyssey. And for me, a friend, again, turned to the internet and uh, was researching asplenia, and she kept finding these doctors' names that they had discovered what they thought to be the genetic reason for asplenia. So she passed the articles on to me And I looked up one of the doctors and I found an email address for her. I sent an email out to her. It's so clear to me. It was on a Friday afternoon and I sent the email. And as before I hit send, I kind of did a little sign of the cross and said a little prayer over my laptop and I said, you know, please God, let this woman respond to me within two weeks. And later that night, I had an email back from Dr. Lecha Soleri, and she said, of course, I want to talk to you. And like I said, in my experience in the rare disease community, I've met parents who've been searching for eight years, 12 years or more to even find a diagnosis for their child. And the first email I sent out, Lecha is responding back. And that, that's what started it all. And from there, she introduced me to one of her colleagues. And so that's really how the team for Travis got launched. They were some of our earliest team members. They're still part of our scientific advisory board. And for us, what we're doing to to try to make an impact, a big portion of our efforts is dedicated to awareness and education about this rare disease. I can't tell you how many people in the medical profession I've spoken with who say, well, I've never heard of that. Or I think asplenia, that must have something to do with not having a spleen. But so many are shocked to find out that its it does have a genetic basis. You know, how can a major organ like the spleen just be missing or be non-functioning? And so we've gotten involved in newborn screening we are very early in those stages and just learning about all of the steps necessary to get a condition added to the federal RUSP or recommended uniform screening. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately we'd like to see a test. We'd like to be responsible for contributing to the development of a test for asplenia.
0: So how, at what point do would one start to look at that? Are you proposing it as being an an initial standard screening, or is it something that, after a couple of encounters that are you know frequency of, you know appeared uh, symptoms of cold or flu present, that you would recommend that a clinician, do the screening. Tell us what what the protocol or the a process is that you were thinking around the way that clinicians would approach and prevent.
1: Well, ultimately, in my mind, just simply because of what happened with Travis, we were never given the opportunity to have that chance to observe an infection a second time or a third time. So, for us, it, and again, I have no scientific background. My education is in business. I spent my career in commercial finance. So just looking at it strictly from a layperson viewpoint, I think it needs to be checked either during a prenatal ultrasound or some. it needs to be added to genetic testing in the prenatal period simply because, like I said, Travis never had that chance to display a second infection. And I think in some ways, the extra care and precautions we took because of my husband's compromised immune system helped protect Travis's compromised immune system.
0: Exactly. Um, Wow.
1: So I think for me, there's, there's a couple of ways to approach it and that's, we're still pretty early on. I think one thing I'd like to do is reach out to obstetricians and get some buy-in or bring them into our vision because they're going to be the ones that can change the way the spleen is sought during a prenatal ultrasound. Absolutely. To realize the importance of the spleen and what can happen when the spleen is missing. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's one of our biggest projects and I don't really know how to approach that. So... (laughs) Well, this
0: is a good start. Being right here today is a very good start. Yes, yes. Have you spoken with groups such as the ACOG, like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists? Are they not, on your
1: list? Not yet. I have not, but they. I think they need to be.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Now this is like, well, I think they're kind of unclear, right? We're sort of unclear at the moment about the prevalence, right? I, the estimations yeah. of maybe one in a two, is it one in two million or-
1: it ranges. Early research thought um, showed it to be one in two million. The doctors that we're working with, Dr. Soleri and Dr. Castanova, they said that because of the severe amount of underdiagnosis or misdiagnosis, it's more likely one in six hundred thousand. But it could be as prevalent as one in fifty thousand. And here's another kicker, I'm going to veer into some really scientific things, but Mm -hmm. originally they thought that they discovered the gene that caused it. Further studies have unveiled that asplenium may not have a monogeneic cause. There might be another gene. And I say that simply because when they analyzed Travis's DNA, the, the medical examiner worked with me and worked with them to provide tissue samples so that they could analyze Travis's DNA. And I also submitted my DNA and I worked with my late husband's oncology team to get some of his tissue samples for his DNA analysis. And uh, none of us have the genetic defect that they had previously identified. And that's something that they're finding. The RPSA, which is a protein that is found when the NKX 2.5 gene has damage or has a variant to it. This RPSA protein they found is only present in about 50% of the DNA that they've screened.
0: Wow. That makes it all the more challenging and all the more you know important that the education is happening, right? and and screening and integrating key stakeholders like obstetricians, as you sort of pointed out. Yes.
1: yes. And also I think hematologists might role in this as well. And um, one story I'll share with you really quickly, a family in Norway reached out to me based on finding us on Facebook. And uh, so we've talked, opened up some conversations and they're really busy because they're an active family. Both parents work and they have two sons, but I'd like to get them more involved in our organization. And one thing that we were able to do is as team for Travis, we were able to facilitate an introduction between this family in Norway and Dr. Casanova's lab in New York to have them submit their DNA for testing. And their journey, I'll share a bit of it with you, their son, they have two sons, their younger son was four months old and he started getting sick, running fevers, developing infections. The doctors treated him with antibiotics, which I think in some ways kept him alive because it was able to, the antibiotics were able to keep the infections at bay. But the mom knew that there was something different between her older son and her younger son, because he continued getting sick. And so many of the doctors that they sought treatment from said the same thing. Oh, it's normal. Oh, kids get sick. Oh, your older son is probably bringing home infections from his preschool. And, um, but she knew that this wasn't normal. Finally, she was able to find a, uh, It's similar in, I forget the term in Norwegian, but it's similar to our nurse practitioners. And this nurse practitioner saw the little boy and realized that there was something else going on other than just routine childhood infections. She had them transfer the child to the next larger town. And from there, they did a care flight to the university hospital in Oslo and the little boy spent two weeks in the ICU while doctors tried to figure out what was going on with him. Finally, a hematologist approached the mom and said, I think I know what's wrong with your son. I think he was born without a spleen. And the hematologist found this by studying the little boy's red blood cells. He found howl jolly bodies within the red blood cells. And that's indicative of a lack of a functioning spleen. And so, he instructed the family not to talk to the radiologist because the hematologist wanted the radiologist to confirm his suspicions with an ultrasound. And so they were there while the radiologist was conducting the ultrasound and he was struggling. He was really quiet and he was searching and searching and searching. And finally he looked up at the parents and he said, I don't think your son has a spleen. And that confirmed the hematologist's findings.
0: My goodness.
1: And luckily, this little boy is still alive. He's over eight years old now, and he's been able to survive. He receives daily prophylactic antibiotics, and that helps his immune system combat any infectious diseases. So I think hematologists can play a part in this, as well as infectious disease doctors.
0: What an amazing journey of discovery and the fact that you've been able to empower so many and bring so many from different ends of you know specialization together on this journey with you to discovery is really powerful. So what would you like for those out there to know if there was something that you could share with our listeners today, what message would you want to leave them with?
1: Well, obviously, if... If your child, your seemingly healthy child, suddenly develops a high fever and they're more lethargic than you've ever seen them, be a fighter for that child. Don't let a doctor tell you, oh, it's just routine, it's just the flu. Ask them, is it possible my child doesn't have a spleen? So just that awareness and that education piece to have doctors realize that when they see a child, with a high fever, a sudden onset of fever. Delve deeper. As we say in the rare disease community, you know, doctors are trained when they hear hoofbeats, they think horses, start thinking zebras, start looking for those zebras. Be aware of the possibility that the child may not have a spleen and the implication on that child's immune system. Don't be so so quick to dismiss a fever as A routine part of childhood.
0: And and in your case, it was just the fever. Were there any other symptoms in most of these cases, any other symptoms that present?
1: Yes. Um, For Travis, he complained the day before the fever that his stomach hurt, but he still, he went to swim lessons and he was just his usual active energetic self. So the fever was the first sign. He also vomited and then overnight, he showed shortness of breath, even though he was able to sleep, his breathing was very rapid. And at the time I didn't know this. So that's another thing I'd like to share with listeners is just, I think every parent should be aware of the signs of sepsis because those were early signs and I didn't know it, but the shortness of breath Overnight prompted me to make an appointment with urgent care because this was Friday night into Saturday morning, and um, it concerned me enough. And again, you know, my husband had died just a few months prior, so I didn't have anyone to consult with to kind of talk me down off the ledge. But I knew that that I'd never had never heard Travis breathing that way, and what that was was a sign of sepsis—that rapid breathing—and um, Then he also, he did have diarrhea and he was just extremely lethargic. While we were at urgent care, they asked him to give a urine sample because they wanted to screen for type 1 diabetes. They were astute enough to realize that his symptoms could be indicative of the onset of type 1 diabetes. So they were screening for that but no one was screening to see if he had a functioning spleen. So he had a really difficult time producing a urine sample. And that's also a sign of sepsis in young children if they've been unable to urinate for 12 hours. And so that just, I would like to have parents be aware of the signs of sepsis and, uh, seps the sepsis organization has a sepsis awareness month every September. And, uh, I can share their website with you.
0: Our listeners would love to have that. Yes, Yes,
1: it's very simple. It's www.sepsis.org. And on their website, you will see some of the signs of sepsis include any child who feels abnormally cold. That was a big symptom for Travis. Again, we're living in Arizona and it's August no one ever says they're cold. And he had complained, mama, I'm cold. And uh, so that was an early sign. Breathing very fast is very lethargic or difficult to wake. I saw that as as his condition deteriorated on Saturday. Another sign is any change in the appearance of the skin. If they have, like their skin takes on a mottled, appearance or it almost seems like the blood is just below the surface. If you see that, you need to get your child to the emergency room immediately because they they have sepsis. Again, that's not my professional opinion. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. Sepsis.org also says additional signs are any child under five who is not eating is vomiting repeatedly and has not urinated in 12 hours. So Parents, if you see any of that, don't waste time. Be an advocate for your child. I felt like I was being at an advocate. You know, checking in with a friend who's a physician's assistant, calling Travis's own pediatrician at six thirty on a Saturday morning, and taking him to urgent care. And all of that wasn't enough.
0: Allison, uh, yes, you were absolutely an advocate, and you are still an advocate thank you and you are were you were and you are a great mom and the work that you're doing is amazing and we really commend you for that work this the journey for you and your son and your husband is one that is serving millions of people around the world who suffer from this condition and is helping to advance the research and this rare area that has for so long gone unappreciated. Thank you. We want to thank you for being with us today. We greatly appreciate you. the resource that you identified. Sepsis.org is an incredible site. Um, it's certainly something that unfortunately sepsis is contracted in the hospitals, in fact. Yes. Mm-hmm. And even in those situations, but in the case of Travis and Looking at the needs of of this particular rare disease is something that's really important, and we are so honored to have had you. Our listeners are honored. I'm sure that there's somebody out there who is going to be moved by this this session today, our, our talk. and if they want it to get a hold of you, what okay. is the best way for them to reach you?
1: They can send me an email at Allison at teamfortravis.com that's a-l-l-i-s-o-n at t-e-a-m the number 4 dot com, and uh, they can also check out our website which is teamfortravis.org
0: wonderful thank you so much Allison for being with us today and thank you to all of our listeners have a great rest of the day
1: thank you Fran it's been my honor
0: Thanks for tuning in Reach Radio. This program is made possible by listeners like you. To learn more about Reach and to support this program, visit www.reachtl.org.